Good morning and welcome to the manual. I hope everyone's day started well and you are getting some sun. It will be very hot today. I don't know where you are around the country, but in Virginia, we are looking at a 93, 94 degree day. So I am going to get out, get some sunshine, get some exercise. I love working out in the heat. Uh, I know it sounds crazy, but it's what I like to do. Um, today, I'm going to start with um, my questions and answers. Um, I've uh, took some time off to not address these, and I finally uh, had time to sit down and get these questions that I, I got asked. A lot of them I've answered before, so I won't kind of repeat myself, but some of the new ones I was able to field, I will uh, get those out to you right now. So if I didn't answer your question today, please just message me, and I'll be able to uh, talk offline with you uh, if need be. Okay, so I only have a few questions today, and I'm going to go into what I want to talk about um, today, which is pretty much another history lesson. I am not a historian, nor am I a professor or anything like that. I just kind of uh, studied a little bit of history, restudied history, and kind of uh, read a lot of different things to kind of formulate my, my personal opinions about history itself. Okay, so questions are coming from around the country, it seems to be. And again, I don't um, give anyone's identity. I just kind of, uh, you know, answer the question as, as it's presented to me. Okay, so we're, lot, we're hearing a lot about police defunding. What does that really mean? Okay, so I don't know what defunding the police really means. I know that the two schools have thought about what that can look like um, from what I've heard. And from what I've heard, defunding just means that they're reallocating sources um, that fund these police uh, measures that will be going to other programs that are in need of funding. Uh, and by defunding, I believe, and this is my personal opinion, if I am wrong, if anyone's from law enforcement who would like to kind of shed some light on this or expound a little bit, it's basically demilitarizing the police force. Um, as I've mentioned before, we've seen... Um, SWAT teams look like SEAL Team 6. We've seen regular police uh, look like um, <laughs> some special ops situation. Um, these guys are carrying military-grade weaponry versus what we perceived as little kids as what they, they had like a little cap gun. Now they're carrying M4s and assault rifles, AR-15s and things of that nature. And this is this is used on city streets to do crowd control. I've seen, I've seen personally... Uh, weapons like this. I fired weapons like th like this um, myself, and I know that the kind of power they take. And I, I think just from remembering um, something that happened, um, some of you guys who are too young to remember this, uh, there was a movie several years ago, um, probably about maybe 20 years ago now, called Heat. It starred um, Robert De Niro and Al Pacino, two of my favorite actors. Uh, got together and did a role. Um, they've acted in movies uh, previous to that, but this movie was called Heat. It was about a crew of robbers or, you know, they take scores down, and then the police, which is uh, a crack team that was kind of um, indirect uh, response to this team. And there was a scene, the bank robbery scene, which is probably one of the in most insane shootout scenes ever uh, put on on, on film uh, I remember seeing this movie twice in the movie theater and I, I own the DVD um, and I watched it several times over the years um, but this police shootout scene was something insane but art imitates life and 
by that being said, uh, two guys tried <laughs> something similar to this. Uh, they were body armored to the core and they went into a bank in North Hollywood. Um, if you want to see footage, live footage of this, or I'm sorry, not live footage, but you want to see footage of what happened, you can actually Google this or YouTube this. Uh, and they are there are several videos from the time and there have been recent talks about it. Um, but it's called the North Hollywood shootout in which the two armed perpetrators had so much weaponry, so much high grade weaponry that the police were in Los Angeles. They were outgunned, literally no pun intended. They had to break into a gun shop to get weapons to fight off this threat. Um, both the, uh, I believe both the suspects were killed. Um, one of the families of the suspects sued the city of Los Angeles. Don't know what the outcome or don't remember what the outcome was with the suing, but yes, they sued. If you, if you're listening, they sued the city for, um, there's a picture or there was a picture taken when the, one of the guys, um, he, sh I think he shot himself. He shot himself, not, not on intentionally. I think he shot, he was shooting and then the gun discharged under his helmet. Uh, he was wearing a full body suit and he went down and a lot of officers were, were seen around him, but no one rendered aid. There was no, um, there was no medical, uh, situation called in for him and his family sued on the grounds of that. They let him die. Go figure. It's crazy. Cause he was shooting at a lot of police at the time and you know this was a very very crazy thing but yeah you can look it up hot north hollywood shootout it happened it was a crazy thing so i think situations like that cause the police to be um more militarized they their approach being more of a they have to you know become a presence a force not to be reckoned with so i think that was one of the events personally i think that's kind of led the charge to us now seeing police officers we see it with hunters um you know when we saw hunters back in the day they had like a shotgun or or whatever now they're they're hunting deer with high-powered rifles ar-15s crazy but this is what's happening now in society um 2016 there was a case that doesn't get a lot of press um but it did at the time 2016 uh in dallas texas uh a gentleman by the name of micah johnson and it's micah M M I C. A.H. Johnson, uh, crazy story. Uh, he was a uh, military trained uh, individual, black man, that had had enough of some of the violence. And he took it upon himself to take out police. I think he killed five officers before he was killed. He actually wrote his blood out. I'm sorry, wrote out in his own blood his last message, which to this day, they don't know what he meant by what he said. Um insane story if you've never heard it um but it was big at the time 2016 uh he was in an office building pretty much picking off police from a high point they were in a choke uh, what they call a choke point which is uh, a funnel death funnel with where there had no protection against the onslaught um crazy story you got to read up on michael johnson um he was he was something to reckon with uh he was military trained so he snapped and he went to to war. So these events, these things like this is what is what I think that the police justify being looked at as as a as a military um, situation or they have to militarize in that regard. OK, so get into the questions. 
that I have for you today. Uh, they're kind of some good ones. Um, so we talked about the police defunding. Um, so I'm again, I'm thinking that it's not going to do away with your police. It's not going to say, well, you call 911 and no officers will respond to your situation. What that kind of means is that they're going to have less funding to do what they do. The police unions in this country are very strong um, opponents to a lot of change and things of that nature. Like just like, like just like the union on any job, any any unionized job, uh, they're very powerful. They people pay dues into it. They elect their presidents to do things on their behalf in the community, uh, in the state, and also on the national level with legislation. They are powerful, powerful unions and. That is kind of where the start should be is to kind of get these unions to kind of get on board with what's going on, because without that, without that representation um, where they can come to the table with a dialogue, there's going to be a tough time for us to do this. And it's going to be too radical if we just push our agenda without having some kind of. Um, back and forth or, or, or sit down or whatever it's going to be. So uh, defunding the police is, is I, I don't know how I personally feel about it. I just know that there needs to be a change. So I am not yet uh, kind of uh, put in my mind what that looks like or what that should look like as a citizen. But I know that it's, it's something that has been um, being thrown around right now and it's getting some traction, at least on the national level. Um, I'm sorry, on local level, not the national level. Okay, so... Um, Question number two, should they should they rename the rebel bases in this country or remove the names of these bases? OK. All right. So for you, for some of you that don't know, there was a civil war in this country uh, for the most part. And there have also been several other wars. But the civil war is uniquely different um, in the regard that it was America fighting itself Uh and as you guys know, I'm not going to go into the history lesson of what the Civil War was, but out of that came a lot of these rebel bases that were named after Confederate generals, such as uh, Fort Benning, the Robert E. Lee base, and Fort Bragg. These are generals. These are Confederate generals that fought in the war, and these bases have, named, have been named after them. Around this country, in the southern states for the most part, uh, there, there are Confederate monuments. Where I live in Virginia, I live in Northern Virginia, I live in Alexandria, Virginia, there is a, um, there's a couple of um, Confederate um, monuments. They're not huge like most of the country. They're just small statues that are around town um, in certain areas uh, that have historical um, reference. For instance, there's a there's a statue of to to commemorate the soldiers that left Alexandria to go fight for the South in the Civil War. Um, it's just a small statue that stands in, in one of the town squares, but and it's it's I don't know if it's of any prominent figure, but it's just a person that it's it they put it up to commemorate because Alexandria itself was a occupied city. It was a city in the north because Virginia is a southern state, but considered. But Nova, where I live, Northern Virginia, um, there's kind of, it's kind of a weird area. And I believe it has to do, do with being D.C., part of D.C. at one point. Don't get me into this history because I know it's sparsely because I'm not really from this region of the country, but I've been down here just about a decade. So renaming these city, uh, sorry, renaming these bases. Um, I don't have an opinion on that. Reason being is that um, throughout history, whether it's good or bad around the world and around the United States, 
there are staunch reminders of a dark time and a dark time for a lot of people. Um, if you want to look at the school of thought of we should not have things erected or things as a remembrance or a reminder of what happened, that's one way to look at it. The other way to look at it is that we want to remove these things from history. We want to erase them like they never happened. So I don't really care to tell you the truth. Um, if it's not of something that is uh, outright disgraceful, like, you know, there's a memorial to a lynching or something like that. I don't I don't care if it's named after somebody. It's just what it is. They, they, their high schools and their grammar schools and their elementary schools named after Confederate generals. This has been something for fucking decades. I don't I don't I don't really care to tell you the truth. I mean, you know, I would care if I guess I'm a soldier. But it's just a reminder. It's just part of the history that that's in this country. And um, you can't tell everything without telling the entire story. So in order for people to understand what's going on, personally, I think that it should be talked about. Not glorified, but it, it is a is a is a talking point. It's a dialogue that needs to happen. OK, moving right along. What is my polit- what is my political affiliation? Okay, so I grew up in the Democratic household. Um, my parents are Democrats still. Well, at least my mom, my dad is no longer with us. Um, Democratic household for the most part, but my personal take without bringing religion and um, politics in, I don't ever mind talking about that stuff. But I know people get kind of uncomfortable talking about their political affiliations and their religion. So for me, I used to be Democrat. Kind of don't think of that anymore. More of an independent um, for a lot of reasons. And again, I won't get into that on this episode or if I engage in this conversation. I want it to be a conversation that I'm not just talking. I'm talking with someone about this. Okay, so independent is, I guess, where I land now for the most part. Um, I think we have two more and then we'll go on to our topic today. Um Okay, this is an interesting question. Uh, I didn't even read this one the way. Okay, what's the, what sparked the civil rights movement in the 1960s? Okay, so, um, and again, you guys have me go through history here um, when you guys can actually Google some of this, but I understand why, because it's kind of contradictory to what I said, that if you Google something, it the first thing that comes up is probably not the absolute truth. You have to kind of go to other sources. So from what I've been told from people of that time that were alive at that time, uh, we have two major events that sparked some attention in this country. We had the Montgomery um, City, you know, in Alabama, the bus boycott, bus boycott, excuse me, I can't speak today, bus boycott, uh, bus boycott with uh, Rosa Parks. And that kind of got national attention because the boycott was a, a successful movement um, that gained some traction and some attention around the country. And then we have the killing of Emmett Till. Emmett Till was a 14-year-old boy who was hor- horrifyingly murdered. And it really brought attention because his mother um, chose to not have the funeral service be a closed casket but an open casket. And I believe that the, she didn't have the morticians do a, uh, to dress him up, meaning didn't 
do their best job to keep him preserved. She kind of had the world see what happened to her son. And it is, if you've never seen these pictures of Emmett Till, they are horrific. For a 14, you can't even recognize this as a human being. So um, two schools have thought about it, and I kind of roll with the, the latter. I think that the Emmett Till murder kind of shed a lot of light on what was happening in the Deep South, especially for Northern blacks who hadn't experienced that level of violence yet. So there's a lot of um, subtext that occurred during, the, during this time. And one of those, to me, uh, linchpins was the murder of Emmett Till. Okay, next question. Uh, you mentioned Reconstruction a couple of times. Um, was Reconstruction all bad? Okay, no. So from 1866, from what we know, to 1877 is the actual dates of reconstruction of reconstructing after the war in that time after a lot of um well every slave pretty much was free there was some movement in the black community as a whole um in those 10 years there were people elected to congress and the house of representatives there were people that were able to own land there were people that were able to obtain a level of success in society and not the entire population but we've had some traction some movement this is before Jim Crow people this is before the playing field got leveled and tilted against us so in the years of reconstruction I think personally I think the meteoric rise of a lot of people getting prominence was probably not looked at as something that could be sustained and it was ultimately destroyed. Um, in in this realm, we've had several things. I mean, you guys seen Rosewood, uh, the Tulsa, Oklahoma bombing of Black Wall Street. These are all things that happened uh, between, you know, Reconstruction ending and up until the civil rights. There are several things that have happened in this country uh, like that. Um, again, I am not here to do anyone's history for them, but it is something that you need to know about. If you don't know about Black Wall Street, for my younger listeners, Black Wall Street, go look it up. Uh, all I, all I got to say about that is go look it up. Um, in the 1920s, there was a resurgence in the city of Harlem, um, in, in the music realm, in political realm, socioeconomic realm. There was, there was a lot going on during the 20s. The 20s were called the Roaring 20s for white America, but it was also a time of a renaissance. The Harlem Renaissance actually was what it was called. Uh, you can look this up. It's, it's a very, very uh, great time. And this is in the backdrop of, of, of a lot of racism, of, of a lot of injustice, of a lot of things that we're speaking about today. Those things were happening 100 years ago. Damn near. So, um, Reconstruction wasn't all bad, but I reference it as the worst time for black America because out of, out of Reconstruction, we, we end up getting segregation. We end up getting Jim Crow. I mean, things like voters' rights were given or granted and then taken away. And when I say taken away, that there was um, at the polling stations, there were you had to be able to show that you could read or write. First of all, they were tested. Um, any, anyone that was was not black and were poor or, you know, not of up to snuff in society, they had grandfathered rights. So if their grandfather could read or write, but they couldn't, 
this is for the whites, they were grandfathered in to vote. Blacks were not. If you couldn't read or write, you just couldn't vote. If you couldn't pass whatever test they had, you couldn't vote. It, it was that kind of messed up thing. You know, uh, one of the cities, um, actually the state of Louisiana, but um, New Orleans being a city, um, a lot of during the Renaissance, um, sorry, during Reconstruction, a lot of prominent people, um, it was happening there. Uh, and Jim Crow just really destroyed that. So again, kind of know your history, go through some stuff. Um, one of the things that I I want people of um, people not of color to understand is that during this uh, right now, this resurgence, this awakening, whatever you want to call this, um, if it can be sustained, one of the ways that you can I guess help is to understand some of the history. You know, we have all of this history that's happening now or in the last decade uh, in the um, in the wake of a lot of these uh, police brutality killings. But it is a if you're going to attack racism, if you're going to if you're going to group racism in the realm of all of this, then you need to understand some of the history of the racism. You need to go back and look at some of the things that have happened, uh, some of the events. I mean, you could pick one event. Black Wall Street and kind of just see what happened. What was the what was the fallout from all of that? So it's not just knowing, oh, this is happening right now, but this is ha has happened for centuries. This has been something that's been going on. They people are referencing, you know, the time, the amount of time of slavery in this country. I mean, it's a, it's four hundred and one years, sixteen nineteen to twenty twenty. You know, this is something that's been on our minds and on our tongues for 401 years. It's crazy to even think of that. Four centuries, almost half a millennia, because we're heading into, you know, we're 20 years into the this new century. And, you know, we're still having these conversations. We're still talking about these things. So that that's pretty, that's pretty crazy. So today what I want to talk about, and thank you for the questions. I hope I answered uh, what I could for you guys. A lot of the questions that I got outside of those five or four were stuff that I already answered, and you can go back to those episodes and just check in with them. If you want to have a deeper dive or deeper discussion, feel free to to um to message me um, on the podcast, or you have my information. Again, it's cleveland.wason at gmail.com, or you can actually just call me, 703-307-9188. So today I want to talk about 13. Uh, what 13 is, is the 13th Amendment in this country. And the 13th Amendment um, is the... Um, abolishment of state of slavery uh, as an amendment. Now, one thing I want you to remember is what what is an amendment. Amendment to the Constitution means just basically what it is. It's a footnote. It's a a um, a change where you can amend something. You can amend the law. You know, it's been written into law, but it it has. It's a the Constitution is supposed to be a living document, which it's supposed to be able to be amended and changed. So. With that being said, my personal take on is that anything that could be amended could be amended back. But again, with the powers that be and the checks and balances with Congress, the Supreme Court and the president, um, a lot of things would have a lot of tough times now to be changed. But it doesn't mean that that the um, the local um, and state laws, because, again, statehood carries some weight in this country that. Those laws can't be, I'm sorry, those amendments can't be challenged or addressed because it, it could be listed as outdated or it can be listed as it, it's relevant. So amendments are a very scary thing for me 
It's because, again, it's amendable. It's changeable. But 13 is uh, the abolishment of slavery. And I think Netflix did a great documentary called 13. If you haven't seen it, you should check it out. It talks about the um, criminalization of black and brown people in the United States and the prison population boom and the industrial prison um, complex. Uh, All those three things can be separate podcast episodes. I shit you not. Um, But as a whole, the 13th Amendment kind of address um, things that are happening um, during that time. Uh, I was in college during the Bill Clinton years, um, his presidency, both his both his terms. Actually, one of his terms I was in college and the other term I got out. Um, And the thing about Bill Clinton's presidency that's different from a lot of the other presidencies is that because of the climate of the time and the temperature of what was happening, uh, we got three strikes. And what three strikes is, is what you guys know of any violent criminals um, that committed another crime, whether it be a violent crime or another crime, that they were a repeat offender, they were in the criminal justice system pretty much growing up, they were giving, given a life sentence for things. Uh, now, I believe that if you're a violent criminal and you, and you just commit these acts repeatedly, yeah, you should not probably be able to still live among us. But in that, there is no separation of someone had a violent past, they're kind of recovering or getting through that, and then they shoplift something. Once they commit another crime, the three strikes law kind of went into effect, and a lot of people got swept up in that. And, it, and they're in prison now forever because, again, two, two strikes, two violent strikes, arm, arm robbery maybe or uh, uh, attempted murder, two strikes, and then you shoplifted. Now you're done. I'm kind of parsing here, but you kind of guys get the idea of what's going on. So going back to 13, the 13th Amendment, um, one of the ways to disenfranchise a person is if they commit a crime, they are not deemed um, reputable in society. And with that being said, if, you know, if you're criminalized, if you're put into prison, um, it was a kind of a way to kind of get slavery still going. Sounds crazy, but you got to check it out Um, because laws were written for people. And if you didn't have the money to fight that law, just like today, if you didn't have if you don't have the money, if you don't have the criminal justice system is tilted one way they show it as scales but those scales are heavily heavily tilted in one direction so you're you're not going to be able to kind of afford the liberties um that you need to fight such cases you won't be able to um have representation the way you have because of again of the racism that exists within that that system so 13 is is pretty Pretty insane. So the 13th Amendment of the Constitution, as a definition, um, it abolished slavery and involuntary servitude except for the punishment of a crime. So you get what I'm saying. So it abolished slavery and involuntary servitude, but it has an excerpt that if you are um, if you are criminalized or whatever, then you are not afforded um, this amendment. Okay, and it was passed by the Senate on April eighth, eighteen sixty four, and the House on January thirty first, eighteen sixty five. It was ratified um, on December sixth, eighteen sixty five, and on on sorry on December eighteenth, eighteen sixty five, William Seward, who was the Secretary of State, 
um, it was kind of put into the Constitution um, or it was put up to the Constitution and adopted after the Civil War. I said all of that to say this, right? Since the American Revolution, we have been, we have been divided as a country on um, slavery, on how slavery is doled out, you know, that they had free states and rebel states and, I'm sorry, slave states and things of that nature. But the, the, the 13th Amendment was to address all of this. And it was the Black Codes, which was a series of laws or a series of, I would say, preventable ways to legally, legally uh, put people of color in a bad situation. And if you don't know what the Black Codes are, you need to go check that out and see how that affected this entire country. Okay, um, so amendments obviously work work in um, in the favor of the law, but it still doesn't address if you are facing systemic racism um, or sexism or anything else. So, law abiding is what it is for a lot of people. If you're if you consider yourself a law abiding citizen, you should be afforded the rights in in that system to be fairly treated and represented, but that's not always the case because within that, you can pay your way out of some stuff, but it'll it'll cost you. It'll cost you. And a lot of people are not in that position to fight cases um, when it comes to when it comes to that. Okay? So we always we always look at um, society as as a whole, but it, it was always it was always fractured. Um, one of the, one of the things that, um, someone, I have a cousin that arrived in this country a few years ago. Um, she knows who she is. <laughs> I'm not going to name her. She's in college right now and she's learning a lot of um, American history or she's going through a lot of American history. And I kind of, I'm kind of playing cop, so to speak, of what she's learning, what she, you know, we discuss things that she has questions. She has a paper and she brings things to me and asks me about my take on it. Now, again, I'm not a scholar. I'm not, a, I'm not an expert on anything. But I know that what I've learned in the past is outdated. What I've learned now and continue to learn now is the whole story, not one side of the story. You know, take, take maps, for instance. The Mercator map, the map of the world. There's several maps of the world. Mercator is, I think, the one that we use now. In any country that you're in, a map of that country is represented as a center of the world. Um, if you don't believe me, just grab a map and look at a map of the world it, where you are, and you'll see your country kind of being the center of everything. It's just a way of, you know, people representing themselves. But then you see dis- disproportionate sizes of countries. Um, for instance, and, and I don't know if this is due to racism, so I'm not saying that I'm not saying that. So let me preface with this is not due to racism. But you have Africa is a very massive continent, as we all know. But then you have Greenland on certain on certain globes that we see uh, or pictures uh, of the planet where Iceland or Greenland is just the same, almost the same size as United States or close to being the size of Africa. And I'm like. That is impossible because given the landmass that we know, 
that Africa is a very massive continent. I think it's of all the continents other than Eurasia, which is a combined situation, Africa is a very big continent. Probably one of the biggest, if not the biggest. So a lot of a lot of perception, a lot of things that are in society are kind of slanted to the view through a lens of another person to make us and I'm not just talking about black people to make anyone that is um, a, a minority feel always as a minority. You always have to you always have to feel that. You always have to see that. Images in society remind us of that that we're not a majority in this country. We're minority, you know. And that comes down to women. That comes down to you know if someone is um, is homosexual. Things it, it 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 trickles down to a lot of things that people don't understand. That there are there are devices put in that some are subtle, some are co- uh, and and covert, and some are outright egregious, and some are, you know, so grandiose that you're like, wow, I can't believe that I'm even seeing something like this. And for the LBGT community and transgender community, you guys are now getting a taste of what the fight is to have equal rights, to have rights in the in the rights of the law, but also in the rights of people that you come into contact with to change those minds, to change those those uh, feelings about you and things of that nature. So when we all talk about a change and a, a resurgence in in kind of equality, you have to look at that from <laughs> a lot of different angles because it depending on depends on what what equality you're looking for. There's several things that is, that should be equal. Equal pay, you know, right before the pandemic, I think there was a major story about the U.S. women's soccer team who brought in the championship that they're not getting paid the same as their male counterparts because they're women, I guess. I don't know. You know, is that right or is that wrong? You know, a, a, C, a woman that's the CEO of a company should make as much money as her male counterpart. If she's doing the same exact job, if she has the same level of success, if she is uh, educated to that level, yes, she should get equal pay. You know, I I think that um, when it comes to certain um, certain jobs, um, if you're a woman or a man, if you're doing a job, if you're a firefighter, if a woman's a firefighter. Fighting the same kind of fire, the dangers, the same same situation. She should be paid just as much as her male counterpart. That's just me. That's equality. That's 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 not necessarily racism. That's just me saying, hey, we do the same exact job. If you're a doctor and you're treating me for something, I don't care if you're you're you're, you're white, black, male, female. I want to know that you can treat me for my ailment. I want to know that I'm in good hands. I, I could care less. If you didn't go to Brown <laughs> University or if you went to Howard, I don't give a shit about that. That's not that's not how I look at things. But some people look at that. Some people look at socioeconomic status as being like, you know, OK, if you're from this level of society, then that means you're you're reputable versus you came from where? It's crazy. In sports, we have Serena Venus Williams come from Compton. You know, in an inner city, and they became world champions in tennis. They didn't have a a background where they they went to Harvard and you know they were they were training with these you know these trainers or whatever, or they were going through. The, no, they they came from humble beginnings. It didn't change. It didn't change who they were. They still rose to prominence. 
you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, again, it's a lot of things that when you, when you talk about racism, racism is just kind of like the, the, the knock on the door. Let's knock on the door. I'm knocking in the name of racism, but as I'm sitting down in your house, I want to address equality. I want to address what is right, what is equally um, attainable for everyone. You know, if if um, if we look at this country and the Constitution as being for everyone, then we have to really amend the entire Constitution. Because if you read the Constitution, there's a lot of things in there that that still kind of read uh, in one way. In one way. So these conversations that we're having now um, have been had. So this is not anything brand new. This is brand new for a generation of people, the Gen Alphas. And I wanted to kind of make note of that. So when I meant millennials in my last episode, I was talking about the Gen Alphas. And that's the next generation. That's the generation of, of people now on the streets marching, these young people. Those are the ones now that are going to decide the next leaders of this country. Those are people that's going to decide what happens with our legislation, what happens with what's going on, because they're the one. The old guard, all these old fucking senators and congressmen, and whether they're Democrat or Republican, you're on your way out. I don't know how you think you see this. You're on your way out. You might might get another term this next go around, but the go around after that, all the orange hatches and all these fuckers, they're gone. You guys are going to be gone. I guarantee you, you. I guarantee you because the millennials and Gen Alpha don't care about your rhetoric. They don't care for how they, how they see things because they're more communable. They're more, as a community, they're more friends with each other. They, they share stuff that when I, when I see them interact with each other, I'm like, man, you know, was I ever like that? Was my parents ever like that? Was my grandparents ever like this? They are, they are united so much on social media. They're the ones that fuel that machine. They fuel the narrative. When I was a kid, you couldn't, you know, stuff came out in newspaper, stuff came out on TV, and you didn't know what was going on. Right now, things are instant. Someone uploads a video, it's instant in the realm of 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 social justice, of equality, of whatever. They they are they are the ones that are are pushing society now. They are the ones that control the narrative. So you guys better take hold because there's no Vasoda Cyclone. There's a new world order coming and they are at the forefront of it. So again, as always, I like to talk to you guys um about stuff and I if you guys have noticed I kind of just touch on things because I am not trying to preachy, be preachy, to talk your head off, talk your ear off, and be this guy that's, that, you know, that's touting this thing. No, I just want to be able to kind of give you my perspective and kind of give you some factual information to kind of deep dive on. Because again, I can be fact-checked. I'm not, I'm not like the president. The president doesn't want to be fact-checked. I can be fact-checked from what I know. It's things that I know might be outdated or no, or not, no longer, um, relative to what's going on in society, but it's the way I've kind of been um, operating for the most part. So I thank you for your time today. Thank you for listening to the manual and you guys have a great day.